Well, are you ready to dig into the Word of God? Yeah. All right, three or four. But well, we're going to do it regardless if you're ready or not. Um, but we do want to welcome all of you. Perhaps you're joining us online via YouTube or Facebook or maybe our podcast. We want to say welcome to you as well. If you're in the room and you happen to have a Facebook account, you can feel free to log on right now and check in at Calvary. Maybe snap a photo out here in the Welcome Center. There's a photo booth uh, with a Hope is Alive uh, sign that you might want to get your picture with. Or outside, there's another opportunity. Do we have the Easter Bunny here this week? The Easter Bunny is here, and we did make sure it is a Christian bunny, okay? This Christian bunny loves the Lord. So if you decide to get your picture taken with the Easter Bunny, know that we vetted this bunny. And uh, for real, I did, see, I did see a bunny this morning coming into the... This is third service. The filter is gone, by the way, okay? So welcome to Calvary, right? But uh, I got here... Uh, I left the house at, I don't even remember, got up at five. I think I was here by 6 a.m. and bef way before the sun was up. And I seriously saw a, a bunny scurrying when it saw my headlights, it scurried away. But um, anyways, we have a Christian bunny to take your picture and please take donuts with you. I don't need to take three or four boxes of donuts home. Y'all take them, get them out of here. But uh, we do want to say welcome to you. If you are a regular attender, you know that we've been in the book of Matthew since about the third or fourth week of the year. And we have made it all the way through the first four chapters of Matthew. Next week, we are going to resume our study in the gospel according to Matthew. We are going to be opening up Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin kind of a sub-series called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes was the very first part of Jesus' very famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. So we're going to be looking for the next several weeks uh, at the teachings of Jesus, specifically at the Beatitudes. So we invite you to come back next week. We'll be here at 9.15 in the morning and as, and as well as 11 a.m. And we will for sure have kids ministry ages 4 through 5th grade at the 11 o'clock service. So come back if you can. Okay, so I recently uh, read a story about a man who took his family to the Holy Land, to, to Israel. He took his wife, his children, and another family uh, member too. How can I uh, word this delicately? Um, his ever-nagging mother-in-law he took as well. Now, if you're a mother-in-law in the house, that was not aimed at you. I'm sure you are an awesome mother-in-law. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. My wife has a wonderful mother-in-law too. So thanks for joining us, mother-in-laws. We love you. But this mother-in-law was a little on the nagging side. So, but he took his family to the Holy Land, to Israel. So you could see the sights of Jesus, see where Jesus taught and lived and performed miracles and, and lived a, a perfect life and died on the cross and rose again. So he took his family uh, to the Holy Land. But tragically, while on the trip at the Holy Land, his mother-in-law died on the trip. Sad, I know. Um, so he took, he took uh, his family to the local funeral home found the funeral director, the undertaker, and asked the undertaker about shipping the mom's body back to the United States so that they could have a burial, a funeral here at the, in the United States. And the, the undertaker said, well, sir, that's going to cost you $5,000 to have your mother-in-law shipped back uh, so you can bury her there in the U.S. But for $150, 
You can leave her here and we'll bury your, your mother-in-law right here in the Holy Land. Well, the man thought for a second, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. But he said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pay the $5,000 to have my mother-in-law shipped back to the U.S. And so the undertaker said, well, excuse me, sir, I don't mean to be, you know, pry too much, but why would you spend $5,000 to send your mother-in-law back to the U.S. when for $150 you could have her buried here in the Holy Land? And the man said to the undertaker, well, I read a story about 2,000 years ago. A man died and was buried, but three days later he came back to life, and I just can't take that chance. <laughs> Well, of course, that man that he was referring to was Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Amen, somebody? Hope is alive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the world, and it can change you if you will let him. And we live in an ever-increasing, hopeless world. World. Have you found that to be true? That more than ever, we live in a hopeless culture, a hopeless society. And I think all of us would agree that the last year especially has revealed where people place their hope. Everything around us has been shaken. I mean, think about it. Relationships have been shaken. The economy, education, health, social justice, of course, politics. Everything that can be shaken has been shaken, and it has revealed a lot about us. It's revealed where we put our hope. So I have a question for you today that perhaps you haven't thought of for a while, but I want to pose the question to you, where do you put your hope? Where or what or who do you put your hope in? Maybe you put your hope in your house or your job. Well, we know that can change tomorrow, can't it? Maybe you're like, well, no, I don't put my hope in a house or a job. I put my hope in a relationship with that special someone or someones. That special relationship is where I put my hope. Well, we know that that, that, can, that can be problematic as well because things happen and, and people change and people can disappoint us. So you're like, well, maybe, maybe no, I don't put my hope in a relationship. I put my hope in the government. And we all know that regardless of political affiliation, the government and politicians, they always overpromise and underdeliver. So I don't know where you put your hope in today, but I can tell you that there is one reliable and trustworthy place where you can put your hope in, and that's in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. You know, when you put your hope in other things, in other people, before long, you'll find yourself disappointed and disillusioned. You know, you'll find yourself destined to be a hopeless person without Jesus. And hopelessness is a plague that is affecting our world at never before seen levels. I read an LA Times article recently that mentioned that uh, because of the COVID-19 virus, that reports of depression have tripled. The coronavirus pandemic has ushered in another pandemic, a pandemic of hopelessness. That study showed that three in 10 Americans reported anxiety or depression symptoms. 26% reported trauma 
or some sort of stress-related disorder. 13% of respondents to this survey say they either started or increased substance abuse, drugs, alcohol. And 11% seriously considered suicide. In the years 2007 through 2018, suicides among children and young people aged 10 through 24 grew over 57%. That study was done in 18. That was before the pandemic. That was when you could go to school and have social activities with friends. So I'm sure it's much worse now. Regardless of age, regardless of stage of life, we are experiencing a pandemic of hopelessness. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you found yourself wandering into this place, and for whatever reason, you are without hope. Maybe something has happened in your life that has caused your hope to wane, and your hope is on life support, if not already dead. Maybe you're feeling hopeless in a family situation. Family dynamics, they're strained. Husband and wife relationship, or perhaps mom and child, or dad and child, or parents, or whatever it might be. Maybe there's some sort of relationship issue. Maybe you're, you're single and you've been praying for that special someone, hoping to meet Mr. Right, Miss Right. But yet, over the past few years, you still find yourself single and feeling hopeless. Perhaps you're hopeless because of your career. You got overlooked for a promotion. The company went a different direction. Or maybe you threw all of your savings into a small business and you're hopeless because your business didn't take off like you thought it should have by now. Maybe you're hopeless because of another reason. Maybe you're hopeless because of something tragic that happened in your life. Maybe you lost a loved one recently the last few months. You find yourself drowning in hopelessness and in sorrow. Maybe you're hopeless because you or a loved one was recently diagnosed with a tragic illness or unexpected sickness. Whatever your reason for lost hope, there's good news for you. You can have your hope restored today. You don't have to go another day without hope because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, we're no longer destined to a life of hopelessness, but hopefulness. We don't have to live hopeless, but we can live hopeful. In fact, in an ever-increasing cancel culture, Easter is not canceled. The resurrection is not canceled. Jesus is still alive, and along with Jesus, he brings hope. Amen. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 today, Matthew, Mark, Luke. That is the third book in the New Testament. You can turn there now. We're going to be in chapter 24 in just a moment. But Luke chapter 24 records some unique details about the resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, it also includes some unique details that happened post-resurrection, right after the resurrection. And one such event happened to be Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, with some of his followers, and these followers did not recognize Jesus. The resurrected Jesus didn't recognize him walking right beside them. 
These guys were really bummed. They were down in the dumps. Their hope was dead because they thought their Savior was dead. Now, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he told his followers, you can find it many times in the gospel accounts, hey, followers, hey, disciples, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be crucified on a cross. It's part of God's plan, his master plan of redemption and salvation. But it's okay. Be on the lookout because on day three, I'm going to rise again. That's what he told them over and over. But for whatever reason, most of his followers either forgot that or didn't get the memo about the part of him rising again on the third day. And I always find it interesting when I think about the Easter story that Jesus' followers weren't like hanging out at the tomb. They weren't hanging out in the garden waiting with anticipation. Okay, it's day three. He said he was going to rise again. I always find it intriguing and interesting that the followers weren't at the grave waiting for Jesus to rise again. Because when Jesus says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, right? I mean, you can write it down in ink. You can take it to the bank. When Jesus says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And yes, that includes rising again from the dead. So we have these two followers of Jesus, these two disciples. These are not two of the 12. These are not the closest 12. Perhaps it's the next layer or next level of followers in Jesus. Um, But one we reread, his name is Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other man. But these two have lost their hope. And so they're on their way out of Jerusalem, getting away from the cross. And they're going toward a town called Emmaus. And so we are going to pick up the story, Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, the same day, by the way, is talking about Resurrection Sunday, the very day that Jesus rose from the grave. That's the day Luke is referring to. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. How cool is that? But they were kept from recognizing him. He, talking about Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Notice there, was, past tense. Hope is gone. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped, again, past tense, had hoped. Their hope was gone. Hope was dead. We had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. 
Okay, so there's a, a lot going on here in the story. There's a lot packed into this story here. But the first thing I'm intrigued by is who Jesus revealed himself to. Okay, newly resurrected Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. You're probably a much better person than I. But if I were Jesus and I had just uh, risen from the dead like I said I was going to, there's probably a few people I'd like to go and rub it in their face. Right? Like, like a man named Pilate. Pilate, who presided, who presided over Jesus' uh, trial. And he washed his hands clean. I mean, if I were Jesus, I would have kind of appeared to, to Pilate out of nowhere. Hey, what's up, Pilate? Here I am. <laughs> or perhaps Herod. You know, Herod was involved in this whole crucifixion thing too. He was a co-conspirator with the religious leaders. In fact, I believe it was Herod who had Jesus beaten and scourged and whipped. 39 lashes with sharp shards on the end of the whip. I would have showed up and said, hey, hey Herod, here I am. Or maybe some of those religious elite that I talked about, the Pharisees that conspired to have him killed. They were looking for months and months, if not years, to have Jesus killed. So maybe they were hanging out in the temple, excited that they finally got rid of that problem, Jesus. He's finally out of the way. If I were Jesus, I'd like to sneak up on them, right, in the temple. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm back. But not Jesus. He didn't go to them people. He didn't go to Caesar or Pilate or Herod or the religious elite. He appeared first to obscure people. People that would get overlooked by everybody else. In fact, Kelly just read from, from the book of Matthew, the passage where Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene right away after his resurrection. He appeared to Mary. This is the same Mary who Jesus delivered of seven demons just a couple of years earlier. Scripture also tells us that he resurrected Jesus, revealed himself to Simon Peter right away after the resurrection. He showed himself to regular people like Mary and Peter and these two guys, Cleopas and friend. Jesus didn't go out of his way to brag about his resurrection to the haters and the doubters. He went out of his way to be with regular, obscure people. In fact, that was his MO. All throughout his ministry, he looked for people that everybody else overlooked, that everybody else just discounted and, and threw to the curb. Jesus went out of his way, literally, to see the woman at the well. Jesus went out of his way to minister to the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus went out of his way to minister to a short guy named Zacchaeus who climbed a sycamore tree. Jesus took time for ordinary people, people like you and me. So Jesus appears to these two ordinary guys. And here's what's interesting, though. These two guys did not recognize Jesus, even as... He's walking beside them. These followers of Jesus didn't even notice that it was Jesus himself walking beside them. They had followed Jesus. They had seen him do the miraculous, open blind eyes, unplug deaf ears, 
heal the lepers. They probably heard him over and over foretell about his death and resurrection. These guys should have recognized Jesus, but they decided to remain in their state of hopelessness. It was almost as if they were looking to be disappointed. Even after reports of the empty tomb, they were hightailing it out of Jerusalem. I mean, these guys were really down in the dumps and, and hopeless. And part of me wonders if it was their disheartened outlook that kept them from seeing Jesus. Perhaps the reason why they didn't recognize Jesus is because they weren't looking for Jesus. Hope was very much alive. Hope was alive all along, right there beside them, but they couldn't even see it. And what a great reminder for us today. As followers of Jesus, there are gonna be times when we have our blinders on, we're disappointed, we're disillusioned, we're stricken with discouragement or grief, so much so that we can't even see. But guess what? Jesus is still there. Jesus is always there. Hope is right there beside you, walking with you. Whether you see him or not, whether you hear him or not, whether you feel him or not, Jesus is right there walking with you. Look at what David had to say about it in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? For you are with me. I don't have to fear. You're always with me, even when I'm close to death. This is what Isaiah had to say about it. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? I will be with you. That is good news today, church. He is always with you, whether you see him, whether you feel it or not. God is with you through great difficulties, through deep waters, through severe troubles and trials. Jesus is with you. And so these two guys on the road to Emmaus didn't realize it at first, but Jesus was with them. Hope was right there beside them. And as Christ followers, Jesus is with you. Hope is with you. At first, these guys thought hope was dead. And so what was their response? Well, hope is dead. What are we going to do? Well, I guess we're going to leave Jerusalem. We're going to leave the cross. We're going to hightail it out of here. And we're going to leave behind our fellow believers. They wanted to get away from Jerusalem and the cross and believers just as fast as they could. And let me just take a moment and tell you that that is a classic scheme of the enemy. That is a tactic of the devil. He likes to isolate you. He wants to keep you from God's people. He wants to keep you from church. And so he'll get into your ear from time to time and he'll whisper things like, who do you think you are? You have no business showing your face in church today. You are a hypocrite. You're unworthy. He'll, he'll spread all kinds of lies like that. And if you've ever heard that, which I know many of you have, if you've ever heard that, please know that that does not come from the Lord. Those thoughts do not come from God. Those come from the enemy and his legion of demons. 
The first thing you need to do when you find yourself hurting and hopeless is get around other believers. When you're feeling down and hopeless, you're feeling like you're a mess up, a has been, a sinner that could never be redeemed, the first place you need to go to is church. Come on, all the church people said a bigger amen than that. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are hightailing it out of Jerusalem, away from fellow believers. So if you happen to be here on this Easter Sunday, you haven't been to church for a while, we say welcome. We're not a perfect place. Welcome to a place with a bunch of imperfect people. Okay? In fact, church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, right? <laughs> so welcome home. Welcome home. These guys, they isolated themselves. They ran away from believers. They ran away from Jerusalem. They left the cross. But Jesus still joins them on their journey. And he asks, hey, what's up, guys? Why are you so gloomy? What's going on? What keeps you so hopeless? So let's pick up the story again in verse 25, Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he starts opening up the scripture and is showing them, hey, this had to happen all along, guys. Don't you know, fellas, this was all part of the master plan. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, so they're getting close to Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay, so all of a sudden, these two recognized Jesus with their physical eyes as Jesus starts opening their spiritual eyes. He opened up the Old Testament prophecies pointing to himself as the very fulfillment of those scriptures the fulfillment of those prophecies from long ago. And I'm sure these two were probably like, man, this guy really knows his Bible, right? In fact, it had such an impact on them, we just read, that it caused their hearts to burn within them. Ooh, isn't that powerful? Being around Jesus can cause heartburn. I wonder if any of you have experienced heartburn. You don't have to raise your hand. But um, if you know me at all, you know that I like sauces, including hot sauces, okay? I like all kinds of hot sauces, Tabasco and uh, Pistol Pete and Cholula and Valentina. In fact, just this morning on a breakfast casserole, I put some Old Bay hot sauce. Anybody seen that? 
Ooh, come on. That'll be a happy Easter with some Old Bay hot sauce. I just love putting hot sauce on things and eating spicy foods. And in the moment, it, it feels and tastes so good. But sometimes afterwards, I'm, I might pay the price. <laughs> Perhaps you've experienced that too. Well, these guys had uh, not a bad sort of heartburn that caused, you know, instant, that kind of heartburn physically. This was a spiritual heartburn. This was a good type of heartburn. Being around Jesus caused their hearts to be reignited with hope. All of a sudden, doubt was gone. All of a sudden, dread was gone. Distress, gone. Depression, gone. Anxiety, gone. Fear, gone, right? Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's so good. When we have an encounter with Jesus, something inside of us ignites. Our heart begins to burn with passion for Jesus. The presence of Jesus turns a gloomy and hopeless countenance into a passionate, burning, hope-filled excitement. The good news for us today, Jesus is alive, so hope is alive. Amen, everybody? Hope is alive. And there's a lot of people in this place that have experienced hope. In fact, we've captured just a few of their stories. And so I want you to listen in as we share just a few of their stories and let it build your faith that you too can experience hope. I want to share a story by somebody in our church named Rachel. This is her testimony. She says, I've gone to the church my whole life. And I thought I had a relationship with God, but in 2019, I found myself so broken and so lost. I had fallen into deep depression and suicidal thoughts. On the outside, everything looked fine, but inside, I was really struggling. On July 21st, 2019, I was at the darkest point of my life. I was just kicked out of my house and I was driving a friend home and I almost ended it all. Let me tell you, the Lord came into that vehicle and met me there. He showed me how loved I was, told me it wasn't my time yet and that he had an amazing plan for my life. And since then, the Lord has revealed the calling of ministry on my life and has given me an amazing family here at Calvary. God is so good. You're never, never too far. He is waiting with open arms for you and he loves you so much. This is Sharon's story. She says, years ago, I was so lost and I had no idea how my life would turn out. I had many life-threatening experiences. I knew I'd have to make changes so I could be a better mother to my children. I chose Jesus. And when I did, I received his love, provision, protection, and correction. I experienced his grace, his mercy, and his peace. I have a new desire to repent and turn from sinful life to a forgiven life. His love has given me the ability to love. God's done so much in and through me. I'm so grateful. And now I'm on mission to spread the good news that Jesus is alive. Hope is alive. Hallelujah. We're going to sing this song. Would you sing this with us? You keep hope alive. You keep hope alive. 
From the beginning to end, your word never fails. You keep hope alive. You are alive, Jesus, you are alive. John shared this story with me recently. He said, as a child and throughout my teenage and young adult years, I lived in Togo. Between the ages of 13 and 15, I was often awakened in the middle of the night. I felt God speaking to my heart that he had a work for me to do. He told me he wanted me to lead my family. I knew I would face hardship. I met a political protester who helped me come to America in search of a better life. In 2017, I made a really bad choice and I did something wrong. I was sent to prison for three years. It seemed hopeless. But while I was there, God spoke to me and he told me it was time to turn and go a new way. And while there, I decided I was ready to give my heart to Jesus. This year, I was released from prison. I'm now reunited and restored to my family. And on March 21st of this year, I was water baptized in front of God, my family, and my church. I'm made new and hope is alive in me. We have a teenager in our church named Trent. Here's his story. He said, I have a wonderful Christian family who raised me and guided me. But in eighth grade, I started making some really bad choices and going down a dangerous path. I was searching for things of the world to fill me. I wanted to fit in and be popular. Pretty soon I found myself caught up in drugs, pornography, and criminal activity. I was living my life in the grave. My parents were pushing me to go to church events and finally I agreed. When everyone started worshiping, I decided to join in. Right then, the Spirit of God called me by name, and I responded with my open heart. I ran out of my grave into God's grace, and I found freedom, joy, and hope. You keep hope alive. You keep hope alive from the beginning to end. Sydney's story. She said, I was lost in my sin and desperate to numb my pain, so I turned to smoking, alcohol, and all the things of the world to fill my empty heart. I felt dirty, unworthy, depressed, and alone. I wondered if I'd gone too far, but this year, I felt like Jesus opened his arms to me and said, daughter, come home, come to me. And I surrendered my life to Jesus. He has changed everything. I now have joy. I have peace. I am clean and forever changed. And a few weeks ago, I was baptized right here at Calvary. And I'm never going back to my old way of living. Hope is alive in me. This is Joe's story. Joe is 71 years old. And he said, I've always recognized that God was there and acknowledged him as my creator but I never really relied on him in my life. When life got hard, I'd ask him to help me, but then I would turn away and forget him again. I lived in bondage to alcohol, marijuana, and anger. After a lifetime of failures, loss, and pain, I was numb. I was so empty and without hope. At last, I turned to God and I asked him to forgive me. When I began to follow him, everything changed. 
I started praying and making profound changes in my life. I had a new desire to live differently. I began to feel more and more peace and recognize how good God has been to me. He was filling my life with light. I now share my newfound peace, my hope and my happiness with people every chance I get. I pray and live my life now so that I'll bring praise and glory to Jesus. I have a joy that swells in my heart. everybody hope is alive hope is alive and the Jesus that came and rekindled the stories the hope of the stories that you just heard this the Jesus that rekindled the hope for the two men that were on the road to Emmaus is the same Jesus that wants to rekindle your hope today so I'm just gonna ask you right there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed we're gonna take a moment Perhaps you've come into this room and you have found yourself hopeless. You have found that your hope is dormant or perhaps even dead. You've walked into this place and you need to experience the hope that the resurrected Jesus can bring. And perhaps you came into this place thinking that you've gone too far. That if they only knew how far I've gone, the wickedness that I've participated in. Don't buy the lie that you have to remain in this state of hopelessness. Don't buy that lie because Jesus can reach down. His arm is long enough to reach the worst sinner. His forgiveness can reach down and forgive you of whatever your past might be. And so today you might find yourself hopeless and you're ready to have your hope rekindled. You're ready to have your hope renewed. I'm just gonna ask you here in just a moment to take a bold step. You know, Jesus came and did what we could never do. He came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect, holy life, gave that life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, and then he rose again. He did something that we could never do. And without his work on the cross, you and I would be hopeless forever. We'd have no hope of eternity with God. We'd have no pathway to salvation and to heaven. Jesus said, he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So if you need your hope renewed, if you're ready to follow Jesus, maybe you came into this place just as a favor to your mom or some relative or a friend, but you have felt the tugging, something deep inside of you, and you're ready to surrender your life, you're tired of living in your hopeless state, and you're ready to live for Jesus, I'm just going to encourage you right now, wherever you're seated, wherever you're standing, would you just lift your hand, hold it there about the height of your head, and hold it there. So I can see your hand along with others. Lots of hands, praise God. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lots of people wanting their hope renewed today. Praise God. 
you can put your hands down. Now, regardless of if you lifted your hands or not, we're all going to say a prayer together out loud in just a moment. A prayer of commitment to the Lord. A prayer saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm going to follow you. Now, there's nothing magical per se about this prayer. It's just the first step on your spiritual journey. It's saying no to the old person and saying yes to new life in Jesus. So if you're ready to do that, we're going to out loud say a prayer together. In fact, everybody, whether you lifted your hands or not, out loud, we're going to say this prayer to Jesus. So just repeat after me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've lived a hopeless life. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for my shame for my salvation and thank you for rising again and giving me hope today I receive your hope I receive the free gift of salvation I invite you into my life I'm walking away from the old life and I'm saying yes to new life in you so from this day forward I will follow you and if you believe that, can you say a great big amen? Yeah. Amen, everybody. Isn't that awesome? If you said that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, we believe that you just invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Now, this is just the first step. So we want to help you on your, on your spiritual journey. So in front of you in the seat pocket, there's a connection card. Would you fill that out? There's a box there that says, I made a commitment to follow Jesus. Just check that box. You can leave it on your seat or uh, we have some prayer team members that are coming forward. If you want to bring that to them, they want to pray with you and pray for you. If you're watching us online, thank you for joining us. You can go on calvarymd.com and there's an online connection card. So let us know that you are saying yes to Jesus. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. So regardless of what you need prayer for, we've got prayer team members, I think, that are coming Yes, they are coming, regardless of what you need prayer for. Maybe you feel hopeless in a relationship. Maybe you feel hopeless financially or on the job, whatever it might be. There's a physical hopelessness that you're going through. Don't leave without having your hope restored and renewed. So one more time, we're going to sing this chorus, and then we're going to be dismissed. But come on, let's all declare it together. You keep hope alive.